Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. So, the first step is to discover. And we all have what I call blind spots. You know, like in, um, I can't see the back of my head. Maybe my hair is sticking up. I don't know. Um, I need a mirror to look at my face when I was shaving this morning. Um, so we need mirrors to discover the blind spots. But it's really hard to see because so much of our success is wrapped up with middle class values. When I went to Peru, I saw these huge foundations like this, as you can see on the screen. And you wonder, were the builders drunk or making fun? Look at all these different shapes and sizes. But that's the brilliance of their technology. Earth, Peru is in an earthquake zone. When it's shaken up, the little rocks fill in the gaps so that the big boulders will remain instead of collapsing. When the Spanish came and conquered Peru, so did uh, the Catholic priests, and they thought, we need to build cathedrals. But we don't know the technology to build these foundations. So there was a brilliant idea. Let's just wipe off the top part. And then we build the cathedral on top of these foundations at the sites of these Inca temples. Brilliant idea, yes? Except... What did it do in the minds of the Incas? Maybe they were thinking, ah, we've been conquered. But our foundation remains. They're forcing us to be Catholics, but inside, deep down, the foundation, we remain Incas and we worship and that's why if you go to churches in, in Peru, the, the Mary is portrayed like a triangle because they worship the sun god. Um, and there are houses with a bull because that's a fertility symbol, like a cow or something, and then on top, a cross. They seek to combine the Inca religion with what's the Catholics uh, force upon them. Now, we might thinking, oh, those foolish people. How could they be so blind? Well, let's ask, what about us? Perhaps we've kept the foundation of middle class values and we try to build being a Christian or following Jesus on top. The middle class values of individualism or independence, materialism, consumerism and pleasure seeking. When I was serving as national director of SIM, we were seeking to help churches to send out witnesses, including to some dangerous countries in the Middle East or Africa, the North Africa. And I had people ask me, is it safe to send people to be Christ's witnesses to such and such nations? And I'm wondering, when did safety become the major criteria where we follow Jesus? And we had inquirers wanting to serve Jesus. It's almost like they say, I'll go anywhere, Lord, uh, but it needs to be safe. There needs to be a good hospital and health system, preferably good internet infrastructure, and my children will have good education. And then they tell me other things, and I say, where are you going to go that you will get all these things other than Sydney, Australia? 
you might as well just stay home. But where do we get the idea about safety, comforts? Middle class values. That I deserve these things. Just last week, I was preaching at Narubi Chapel in Gong Road, and a woman that I've known, she has been following Jesus for decades, and she admitted to me when she said something like, you're right, I need to uproot some of my foundational middle-class values. Where might you need to uproot these middle-class foundational values and redefine success according to Jesus? I mentioned to you growing up, success for me was about my dad's approval. Well, who defines success for you? Who have you empowered to be like a mirror? Uh, you know Snow White, the fairy tale, the mother says, mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me I'm the most beautiful of all. Well, that's what I did growing up. Dad, tell me that I'm a success. And it was so wounding when he considered me a failure because I wasn't getting 100%. I was angry with my dad. So who have you empowered to define success for you? Now, when 23, graduating as a medical doctor, I was a success in my father's eyes. Fast forward some years later, when the Lord Jesus was inspiring, challenging me to leave the medical career as a doctor in Australia, to come to Nagus Narubi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology, to prepare to be a missionary, in my father's eyes, I went from a success down here somewhere. We had lots of arguments. And dad said something like, son, what are you doing with your life? You're throwing away a prestigious, financially secure career as a medical doctor in Australia to become what? Now, he knew I was interested in joining SIM. SIM workers, we don't get paid a salary. We have to raise prayer and financial support. So my dad said, you're going to become a beggar. You'll go around begging, asking friends, family, churches to give you money. First year I was out at Nagus, now it's Africa International University. My dad didn't communicate to me. He said, you don't listen to what I tell you. You go, you go your own way, do your own thing. So who have you empowered to be a success? Now the reason I can follow Jesus, suffer the rejection of my father, was because I put the theory of Jesus' approval to be higher than my father into action. Now then, just to fast forward, I have received permission from my father to share these stories. A lot of people, when I uh, share these stories, they assume my dad was not a Christian. Was he? Yes. It's just that he did not define success according to Jesus. Fast forward, when I was in my early 30s, God convicted me that I'm not responsible for my dad's response, but I'm responsible for my contribution to our conflicts. So I took him out to breakfast and I said something like, Dad, all those years ago we argued. I said words that a son should not have said to their father, I am sorry. Please forgive me. And I thought my dad was going to say, well, it's about time. You've been proud and arrogant, rebellious. Now it's about time you humble yourself. Instead, he remained silent. 
And then I started seeing tears. And he said words that up to the age of 32, I have never heard my father uttered. He said, I'm sorry too. And that's how God reconciled us. So now he's proud of us. When I visited Indonesia in 2006, um, I had forgotten a lot of my Indonesian. Uh, so my dad was my interpreter. And we would coming to a church and of course the pastors would greet my dad and said, oh, welcome, National Director of SIM Australia. And he said, no, no, it's not me. It's he. It's my son. He's the National Director. And dad was proud of us. Who have you empowered to define success for you? How do they define success? And now let's think about how do the people in the world define success? Okay, so if you ever interview people at the mall here or village market, what would they say is success? All right, turn to the person next to you, just make a list. You don't have to explain a lot of things. Um, I already alluded to having a prestigious career uh, is one definition of success. What are the other definitions of success? Okay, one minute over to you. Thank you. Oh, sorry, you were ahead of us. You, you weren't supposed to put the slide up yet. You've given the answers. So don't, don't put the next slide up until I ask you. Um, I, I, I'm guessing, you know, what you discuss would be on the up there. So it's about what we possess, right? The house we live in. Uh, in one of the gatherings, somebody said a big house. Um, but that's not enough. Because if you have a big house in Kibera, you're not quite a success yet. It's got to be a big house in Runda, yes? Um, the cars you drive, the gadgets, or the power or the influence, whether you're popular, the approval of others, um, the pleasures you can afford, the appearance, how beautiful you are, or muscular. Um, then it's about the, the achievements, uh, job or status. You know, the, one of the interesting things I find in Kenya when I'm talking with people and they ask me what I do, I ask them back, what do they do? So many people that tell me they're in business. I was thinking, wow, all these entrepreneurs. Then I asked them, tell me about your business. And they could never quite describe what the business is. <laughs> and I discovered that they're really out of a job. They're unemployed. But who wants to say I'm unemployed? I, got, I lost my job last year, as uh, Sunday shared. You know, so status is just so important for us. A lot of men, um, no matter what position they attain, they could be CEO if they were to lose their job. CEOs, managers, within six months, they struggle with their mental health. They get anxious, depressed. Because for many men, we wrap up about who we are according to what we do. Even people who retire, because they don't, you know, maybe that's not so good to say I've retired, but they suffer mental health. So this is how the people in the world define success. 
how do most Christians define success most of the time? Okay, let me show you a list that I think how most Christians define success most of the time. Let's show the list. Okay, it's not that Shadrach's uh, falling has fallen asleep. He has advanced the slide. I'm showing the same list. Is that fair? How do most Christians define success most of the time? And this is where at times I feel uncomfortable because I'm Chinese and I was brought up that you're not supposed to be direct. You're supposed to give little hints here and there and you beat around the bush. That's similar to many African cultures. Uh, But, you know, I don't have much time. So would you allow me to be direct? Yes? Asantini. So I'll be Australian and be blunt and direct. Most Christians have the same list. But we do a bit of modification. We say, unlike the people in the world who might lie, cheat, steal, they, they do a bit of bribery, corruption... We Christians, we will get these through honest, hard work. Or by faith, we name it and claim it. Through obedience to the word of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, every denomination has their formula. Sometimes some denomination point at others and say they're into prosperity gospel. If I can be blunt, I would suggest every denomination struggles with prosperity gospel because we're leaning our letter of success against the same wall these things is it any wonder then that christians suffer similar harm the rate of divorce among people who say christians are not much better than the rate of divorce among non-christians even in australia it's on the rise Perhaps greed is a blind spot in our discipleship. Timothy Keller in the book Counterfeit God said, Money, when it takes a hold of your heart, it blinds you to what is happening. It controls you through your anxieties and lust. And it brings you to put it ahead of all other things. Why can't anyone in the grip of greed see it? The counterfeit God of money uses powerful sociological and psychological dynamics. Once you're able to afford to live in a particular neighborhood, surrounded by quite a number of people who have more money than you, you don't compare yourself to the rest of the world. So if you live in Runda, you don't compare yourself with people who live in Mataru. You compare yourself to those in your bracket. And that's why middle-class Australians, and I'm guessing middle-class Kenyans, they don't actually think or feel they are wealthy or rich. Because they say, no, the rich ones are the politicians, the the businessmen, uh, Bezos of this world. They're the rich one. So this is what I keep saying. It's not the theory, it's the action. About the blind spot, when my son was uh, between between the age of 8 and 12, he was embarrassed with the house we live in. Because Kay and I lived the bulk of our working career, either studying at Bible school or serving, we didn't have much money uh, when it was time to buy a house. And we could only, now Sydney is very expensive, so we could only afford the very bottom of the market. I only looked at five houses because that's all that we could afford. 
who wants to waste their life looking at houses anyway? Um, now, by the way, I'm not saying this to help make you feel sorry for me. You know, the house is comfortable enough. It keeps the rain out. I mean, what more do you need from a house? But my son was embarrassed because all his friends except for one lived in bigger, better houses. And we had conversations that went something like this. When Stephen would say, Dad, I wish you had stayed working as a medical doctor in Australia because then you could have earned lots of money. We could have a bigger house, two stories with a swimming pool and you can buy me. He had a long list. I tried to explain, Stephen, for your mum and me, life's not about the house we live in, the cars we drive. It's about being God's children, following Jesus, doing what he wants us to do. Stephen replied, Dad, you can just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. People at church do that. Stephen's assessment based on his friends, some of them who live in bigger, better houses and mansions, where are they on Sundays? They're at church. He was thinking, why do they get to say they follow Jesus and they live in a mansion? His conclusion, they just say they follow Jesus, doing whatever they want, building their own kingdom on earth. So let me be clear, if we say we follow Jesus, would we not then define success, not according to the world, but according to Jesus? And any time, whether you say you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus or not, any time we define success according to the world, we suffer harm. And the next slide shows a variety of harm. I've already alluded to it. Comparison. You compare yourself to your brother, your sister, uh, classmates. Some of you think you're doing well till you meet up a classmate from 5, 30 years ago, whatever. And you remember, oh, she wasn't so clever. Look how well she's doing now. Or she married a rich man or whatever. And you start feeling bad about yourself. Social media. So many of you are sucked into social media and it's called doom scrolling. Because you feel worse after you look at social media. Because what you're thinking is you're honest enough about yourself. It's your worst and you're comparing that with what somebody has put as their best. Sometimes not even their best, it's their fake. They've polished the image, they've portrayed so-called success. The never enough syndrome. Or you're afraid of losing what you have. Sadly, a lot of uh, couples now are working 40, 50 hours a week. They give their best at their work. They come home exhausted. They give leftover time to each other. Is it any wonder their marriage is struggling? And then sometimes the children are neglected. Many children are brought up by maids. They spend far more time with the maid than with their mother or father. The most harmful of all, especially as people gain more worldly success, is to be independent from God. I mean, you know all these People who used to be gospel singers used to follow Jesus when they were young, teenagers, the Mariah Carey and so on. When God gave them success, they forget God. 
they live for themselves. But we don't have to live this way. We don't have to suffer all this. We can connect with the real Jesus of the Bible and redefine success according to Jesus. But notice I'm talking about the real Jesus of the Bible. Because in 2,000 years since Jesus was, was on earth, he's been painted, portrayed, and many of us have seen films, the image in those films, what does Jesus look like? He looks like a Mzungu. Was Jesus a Mzungu? He was a Jew. So at least the latest, the chosen, anyone has watched the chosen? I recommend that. Uh, you can download a free app uh, and watch it freely. At least they found somebody of Middle Eastern appearance with a big nose. But are you connecting with the real Jesus of the Bible? David Platt in his book Radical warns us against the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus we're more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class, safe Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American, Kenyan, Australian dream. We're molding Jesus into our image. And the danger now is that when we gather, we may not actually be worshipping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we may be worshipping ourselves. Now, let me invite Pastor Wallace to read portions of Luke chapter 12. It's not the entirety of verses 13 to 24, but just selected verses so that we can listen to the real Jesus of the Bible and how he defines success for us. But be alert because after the reading, I'll give you a minute to talk to the person next to you about success according to Jesus. Now, in some cultures, whenever the word of God is read, um, we are invited to stand as a sign of our respect to the word of God. Uh, so let me invite you to stand and then uh, Pastor Wallace, please read for us. All right. So I'm reading from the book of Luke. Chapter 12, verse 13 to 14, the NIV version. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who, man, who appointed me to be judge or to be an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In one sentence, Jesus contradicts worldly success. Did you notice that? He said it's not about what you possess. Now, even back then, this was most challenging to understand. So now Jesus is going to tell a story to help us understand that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Continue from verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. So Jesus says, success is not like what the world defines. It's not about possessions or symbols. It's about being rich towards God. And so this rich farmer, when he thought of himself as on the mountaintop of success, that was his self-assessment. God said to him, you fool. Now, then Jesus looks at all his disciples, so he's speaking to us now. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. And therefore, he says, don't worry. Now, Jesus is telling us what it means to be rich towards God or to be a success in God's eyes. I read from verse 13. For the pagan world runs after all such things and knows that you need them. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For sell your possessions and provide passes for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thieves come near or no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thank you. So turn to the person next to you and just mention a few of the essentials to be a success in the eyes of Jesus. So just 30 seconds, just mention what are the essentials. Thank you. Please take your seat. Um, from those verses, I think the three essentials to be rich towards God, to be a success in the eyes of God or Jesus are to be God's children. Being is far more important than doing. To be kingdom focused. And then the third is to be giving generously. Easy. Yes. That's not complicated. It's not hard to understand. It's easy. In theory, the challenge is to put it into practice. So from here on, I'll be talking more about the application. Um, I'll talk uh, quite quickly and fast. Don't worry about missing out on anything uh, because it's all in the book. Um, and if you want the PowerPoint presentation, I have emailed that to Pastor Angela. Uh, you can ask her for that. Uh, but keep thinking, how do I put it into practice? Because for my father, what was success? It was about worldly success, having a prestigious financial secure career. Um, so what, how do we do that in action? Being God's children, it's not the theory, it's the application. When I was uh, leaving uh, Nairobi Chapel to go back to Australia to be national director of SIM, uh, there was a young man who came to me and said, Pastor, congratulations for your promotion. I said, thank you, but I don't consider I'm being promoted. He looked confused. I explained, I've been promoted many years ago 
to the highest position I could attain. He looked more confused. Then he thought, oh, you mean when you were a doctor? I said, no, even before then. When God opened my eyes that although I was a sinner, rebellious, proud and arrogant, God showed his love in sending his son Jesus. And as I surrendered to Jesus, he forgave my sins, his blood cleansed my sins. God made me his child. That's the highest promotion I can attain. What can this world offer me as a higher promotion? Now, that's, we think that in theory, how do we put it into practice? Another time, I was invited to, uh, there was a wealthy businesswoman uh, who had many uh, friends, including ambassadors who lived in Runda, and because I was her district pastor, I was invited to a party. And try to, you know, I'm driving the road in my Toyota Corolla, and I park behind a line of all these fancy cars, uh, Mercedes and what have you, and there were drivers standing next to some of the cars. I started to feel anxious, thinking, what am I doing here? I'm not a wealthy business person. I'm not an ambassador. And then Jesus asked me, Omar, who are you? How would you feel if you were invited to such an elite gathering? I was thinking, well, I'm a pastor. That's why I've been invited here, to say some prayers. Jesus asked me again, Omar, who are you? And I thought, well, I used to be a doctor. Omar, who are you? And I began to realize, what was Jesus trying to get at? Am I just a pastor or a doctor? Then I remembered, I'm a child of God. And I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. These other ambassadors, they just represent nations. You and I are ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But is that how you see yourself? Is that how I see myself? So we need to move from the theory to action. So where might you place your identity? We sing in Christ alone, but where do we place our identity, our security? Is there anyone, anything more than in being God's children? And this is the starting point. This is where we gain the security and the significance to fight what I call the whirlpool of self-absorption. Because the marketing in middle class anywhere is powerful, constantly bombards us, hypnotize us with the messages that life is about you. It's about the house you live in, the cars you drive, your career, your achievements, being comfortable. And if we get caught up with that, we cannot fulfill the second, and that's being kingdom focused. And at this point, some people start to feel a bit of guilt and they think, oh, okay, let me think, how can I give more of my time to the kingdom? Maybe I can go to that men's event or invite my father, brother or whatever. Maybe I can give a bit more to the building fund or offerings. That's not what I'm talking about. If you still have yourself at your core, that is about you, you will be trapped, sucked in, by the whirlpool of worldly success. Then you start dividing your life. You spend the bulk of it in your working life. You squeeze a little bit for your family and then a tiny bit for the church or the kingdom. 
to redefine success according to Jesus, it must be from the inside out, so that at the core it must be about being God's child. And out of that it radiates to being kingdom-focused, to be giving generously. Then my life is integrated for my family, for my church, career, how I spend my money. It's all about Jesus. And some of you, God wants to send you to be witnesses among Muslims, among Hindus, and you're afraid. Maybe you'll be, feel left behind. You'll be rejected by your parents, your peers, your siblings. If that's your struggles and you cannot overcome that, what does that show you about what's your core? Where do you place your security, your identity? And if you sense that stirring, uh, you, there are brochures on SIM at the information table or connect with me because Jesus can lead one step at a time. And when we think about being kingdom focused, I'm reminded that in Nairobi, there are probably thousands of churches. Yes, for about two million or so people. Well, I visited a city recently, Izmir in Turkey, about two million people. Do you know how many churches there are there? Not thousands, not hundreds, probably 30. And they're not churches this size. The biggest probably has about 100 people. But it's not that these people are extremists, militant against. They just haven't had people to be among them who can share the good news. And perhaps God wants to send you, like I met someone from Zimbabwe, a student. He gained a scholarship, so for four years he did engineering, at the same time being a witness for Jesus. What about from Karura? Young adults going forth to Lebanon, to uh, China, getting scholarship. Yes, getting your degree and education at the same time as being witnesses for Jesus. That's only possible if individuals and churches are being kingdom-focused. The last one, giving generously, uh, a common blind spot is when we think we are already generous. Because if you think you're already generous, you don't grow. But how does Jesus define generosity? Is it about how much you give? Is it about the percentage? Some churches, they're big on 10% on tithing. So if that's the measuring standard and you give 15, 20%, you must be generous. Yes? What does Jesus think? Who did Jesus put on a pedestal as the role model? This is what generosity looks like. A poor widow. Jesus said all these other rich people who jingle their bags and brag about how much they give, they only gave a portion, a tiny portion of their surplus. But this poor widow gave all that she had. So generosity, according to Jesus, is not just the amount or the percentage. It's how much do you keep back for yourself, for your lifestyle. John Piper said the evil is not being deceived into thinking $100,000 salary or whatever that turns out to be in canon shillings must be accompanied by a $100,000 lifestyle. You could almost tell somebody's salary by the lifestyle they lead, the house they live in. So when God blesses us more, we just keep upping up our lifestyle. Why not set a stopping point? I'm still in the same 60-year-old house that we bought 30 years ago. 
And because we've stayed in the same house, quite basic, we've been able to pay off the loan. I have friends who are doctors, they haven't paid off their mortgage because they keep going to a bigger, better house. They're under more mortgage stress than me because I don't have a mortgage stress now. That's generosity according to Jesus. Now, it's only possible to redefine success according to Jesus in community. So I don't want to set up anyone for failure. You cannot do this on your own. And we saw on the video clip Sunday mentioning it was his family, his friends who encouraged him to go to rehab. Don't be isolated. Be part of life groups, Bible study group. Do whatever it takes. And perhaps you will can, can buy the book so that you can study it in your group. Some of you have done that already. Or you can bless others, share, so that we can journey together. And as uh, Reverend George mentioned, the 600 shilling price is only today. So next week, please don't go to the SU bookstores and hassle them uh, because the special price is only today here at Karura. Um, it's a special deal because you are, I feel really at home here. Um, all right, so let me close then with the motivation. Because I want to be honest with you, I guarantee if you are going to redefine success according to Jesus, you will suffer. It is most challenging. You might get ridiculed, as I did, by my father. I confess it was painful that my son thought of me as a bit of a failure compared to the dads of his friends because they earned more money, lived in better houses. So you might be ridiculed, be rejected. Others might think of you as a failure. You kept your lifestyle, you'll start to feel left behind. Uh, for me, some of the challenges, uh, there were four of us who went through medicine together in the same Bible study group. Now one is an anesthetist, another pediatrician, a third is a specialist surgeon, he's a professor, and then there's me. Do I feel like a success? Not if I look at the house I live in. So you may have similar struggles. So I want to share this story. You, you can't be motivated out of guilt or shame or fear for long. The only motivation that will last is the motivation of love. Love for God and love for people. And I'll close with this story. So way back in 86, and that was before some of you were born, right? How many of you were born uh, after 86? Put your hand up if you were born after 86. Some of you look like you were born after 86, but you're not putting your hand up. Anyway, because I want to say to you, because I was here before you, I could say to you, Karibu Kenya. So it's a long time ago, my friends wanted to give me a good farewell party. And at that time, there was a hotel in Sydney that had a chocolate festival. It was very expensive. My friends paid for me. And you come into a huge room with all these Tables lined with everything chocolate you could imagine. The cakes, ice cream, cheesecakes, liqueur-scented chocolate, and it was a buffet. You could eat as much as you like, and I did. And eventually I had to go to the bathroom. While I was washing my hands, two doctors walked in talking about the conference. Everything was beautiful. I just had my fill of chocolate, and I had these deep thoughts. You can enjoy this lifestyle. Not because your friends paid for you. If you stay as a doctor in Australia, seven to ten years, you'll get invitations to conferences like this. 
stays a doctor in Australia, 15 to 20 years, you'll be rich. You can afford to stay in hotels like this for your holidays. But you're giving up this lifestyle, throwing it away. What for? Is it worth it? You might be tempted to ask the same question. Please remember, that's the wrong question. True, I have given up that lifestyle. I can't afford to stay in hotels like that now. But why did I give that up? It wasn't for an it. It wasn't for my home church or mission. The question needs to always be, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth that much? And I had a rare, unnerving experience. As if the Lord Jesus walked into that bathroom and asked me, Omar, am I worth this much to you? The presence of Jesus felt so real. I almost had tears and I wanted to shout, Yes, Jesus, you're worth this much and much more because you died for me. Paul puts it best in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, when he says, For Christ's love motivates us, compels us, because we're convinced that he died for all. That those who live, those who of us who've received his gift of life should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. Jesus is worth that much. Jesus is worthy of my entire devotion. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by people of all nations, including the nations, the people groups in the Middle East, North Africa, those who've never heard about him. He is worthy of their worship as he is worthy of all our worship and in our entire devotion. Will you stand as we close in prayer? Let me give us some moments of quietness to respond to the Lord Jesus as he speaks to us. Maybe he's asking you, what am I worthy of from you? Maybe you want to cry out to him, yes, Jesus, you're worth this much. Maybe the Lord Jesus has been convicting you, shining light on areas where you've been enticed by worldly success. Perhaps you have empowered people to define success for you more than Jesus. Come to Jesus just as you are. He knows us completely. There's no hide and seek with Jesus. There's nothing that we can hide from him. But he invites us to come to him with our mixed motives. Let's come to Jesus just as we are. And as we confess our sins, remember that God's word says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
receive the forgiveness through Jesus because it's his blood that cleanses us from all sins and shame and guilt. Our Father, I sense there are many of my sisters and brothers who want to cry out to you. Lord Jesus, I need to see you more clearly. Too many times I've been blinded by the things of this world or other people. Please, Lord, make yourself so real to us that you would outshine the glitter of this world. To hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, would mean more to us than the applause of people. And I sense many of us feel weak and inadequate in ourselves. Lord, please guide us to groups that together we can redefine success. Would you empower all of us, Lord Jesus? And maybe you are afraid to be witnesses to Muslims, Hindus, or whoever. Remember, Jesus gives us the power to refute worldly success and redefine success according to him, to be his witnesses. When he said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Receive the anointing, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. Let's go from here, continuing to receive God's grace, His peace, and be motivated by His love to reject worldly success and redefine success according to Jesus. We commit one another to you, Father, in the most precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ, or talk to, or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721 990 880. God bless you.